0: Hello, and welcome to Minta Dialogue, episode number 113. This interview is with Tom Goodwin, who works on both sides of the Atlantic and writes and speaks about the future of advertising and marketing for the likes of AdAge, The Guardian, Wired, The HuffPo, and more. In this interview, we discuss the role of technology in business and which will be the new technologies that will break out in 2015. Among other great topics, Tom has a vivid view of the new frontier of innovation in business. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to quick. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Today I am with somebody who I have just met. But I feel like I've got to know him a little bit more because of the amount of stuff that he's produced online. And in particular, I, I read one uh, slide share that Tom had produced on, on digital in retail, which really piqued my interest. And so based on that, I reached out to Tom and I asked him to come and join this podcast. Because this is a guy who's really au fait with all new technologies. He's based half in New York, half in London. And I thought it'd be fun for us to chat. So Tom, tell us who you are, what
1: you do. Hi there, it's great to be here, so thanks very much for that, Mint. Um, I'm Tom Goodwin, I work kind of on the edge of the perceivable future. So I like to think of myself as a futurologist, but someone kind of based in the the real kind of business issues of today. Um, So my kind of main line of work is understanding what the kind of the problems are that people face, what the new possibilities are that are now uh, possible to exploit, and what that means for the kind of potential of threats for to develop and how to kind of solve the problems of today and of tomorrow.
0: What I, what I like about what you do, Tom, is that in, in a lot of the writings that I've seen, I mean, you're really quite productive, is that you do, tend, you do tend to provoke and you like to look at things in a different way. So I think that's what's going to be fun about this conversation. Talking about new technologies, 2014, we are September 11th, a famous day. How would you describe what's, what's broken out in new technologies this year?
1: I think this has been a year of abundance. I mean, we see so much energy and optimism in the future from Silicon Valley to Israel to, to London. Anywhere in the world right now, there's just an incredible amount of enthusiasm. And it's kind of spread across lots of different technologies, so things like NFC, things like iBeacons, things like 3D printing, drones. There's a lot of really interesting stuff out there. For me, what's starting to kind of be really clear on this is it's kind of driven by factories and by scientists and people who are kind of pushing the stuff out there rather than kind of people that are actually asking for it. So while there's a kind of abundance of stuff and new techniques and new technologies – I'm getting slightly kind of concerned about people who can understand what this means for how people behave. Um, so while I can talk about so many technologies and so many things that are interesting to people like me who find these things interesting, it's actually proving to be quite difficult to figure out what this means for people. So um, I think 3D printing has probably been a breakout from the point of view of the manufacturer and to some extent from the point of view of the, the retailer or the distributor. But I think if you go down the real high streets or main streets of Of real life, you'll actually find out that most people today, as of September two thousand and fourteen, they're probably more excited by Snapchat uh, or more excited by you know the latest upgrade to Spotify. That's probably going to be more interesting to them and how they behave, you know, than something like a a Yo or something like a, a kind of drone delivery from Amazon. I think we're in this really strange period of time, which actually needs quite a lot of guidance to to get people to kind of understand the difference between the gimmick and the profound.
0: That's, that's fascinating, Tom, because what you're saying, I mean, it's almost counterintuitive. A, a lot of times when you're, when you're reading the press, you'll see, well, what's driving the change is the customer, the consumer. They are the ones that are way ahead of industry. They're, they've been on Snapchat and Google Plus or whatever else well before companies are and brands are. And yet what you're saying is that the engineers, the the, the manufacturers are the ones that are driving... A lot. And yet, so there's a chasm, it sounds like, between the the engineer who's got the great idea, the NFC, near field communication, and on the other side, the customer's desires and wants. So how how do you, how do we bridge that, do you think?
1: Well, I like to think about kind of meaningful innovation. So for me, it's all about where this technology hits people's behaviors and where it hits their kind of wants and needs. So it's a much more kind of insightful, a much more kind of restrained process. That's To some extent, it's more about kind of finding pain points. Like, we live in this kind of curious world where technology allows so many things to happen that we're now starting to kind of expect more and more from every device. Like, you only have to look at how a three-year-old looks in disgust if they touch a TV screen and it doesn't move. Absolutely. We kinda we kinda live in this technology age where things progress so quickly yet our expectations of technology progress even faster. So for me, what I like to look at is, is understanding that kind of disappointment gap between um, kind of pain points, like the, the pain point of arriving at a car rental desk and them not having your reservation, or arriving at a hotel room and finding out they've spelt your name wrong. Like it, for me, you know, meaningful technology is about kind of a frictionless world where all of these points of pain are, are reduced, and then kind of beyond that to the future. Like I think we'll talk more about the future later. But beyond that, becomes starts becoming how can technology disappear into the background. Like, this shouldn't be about something that is physical and something that people notice and something that people celebrate. I think the role of technology will increasingly become something that's kind of subservient to us and kind of runs in the background and, and provides meaningful value to us.
0: Well, listening to you, Tom, and part of my gestalt is when we talk about digital new technologies trying not to think of it as a technology and, and think more in the shoes of the customer, the, the user. So it's very much about putting, illuminating what the usage is and the pain points of the user. And it kind of, and I've, and I've often talked about this notion that customer, so digital transformation, the shortcut is need to be customer centric. But the way you expressed it actually makes that really clear. Do you see, does that follow you?
1: I think so. And I think an interesting thing about now is maybe people aren't as involved in technology as we think they are. But at the same time, they have a pretty good kind of instinctive feeling about what is possible. So I think 10 years ago, you felt like it was slightly kind of miraculous uh, if you got to the airline desk and they kind of already had your booking. And I think now people are getting to the point where, you know, if they can't pre-select their online fl- uh, the online movie or if they can't pay by credit card or if the flight is 10 minutes late and they haven't been given a thorough explanation why, they now know enough about what's possible and how technology works to realize that these are kind of mistakes that the the company has made. So we're in this really curious time of incredible optimism, massive expectation, incredible possibilities, and for me... You know, part of my role is to kind of bridge all of those worlds together. So it's to understand how people behave and and what their wants and needs are. Understand what kind of business strategies there are. Uh, And try and kind of blend those wants and needs with uh, the kind of hopes and the ambitions and then kind of layer through that the kind of technology that can enable it. Um, I think, again, another kind of curious tension I see is is the kind of the ridiculous kind of optimism for technology. But then also this kind of feeling that people are being left behind by it. I think more and more you know, apps are designed for the needs of the people who found the companies. You know, if, if you're if you're 23-year-old and privileged and quite geeky, you can get your, you know, pants dry cleaned instantaneously. You can order pizza through one touch. You can talk to mysterious girls without having to ever meet them. But you can't really kind of, you know, book a flower delivery that easily, or you can't... Um, rearrange your your babysitting for the next day so I, I think i think technology needs to start serving us and we need to start being more uh, kind of empathetic about the whole thing mm, beautiful so um,
0: well, we've been talking about 2014 a bit what, what about 2015 i mean it's uh, being futuristic it's not that far around the corner of course what do you think is going to be one the big trends coming up in 2015
1: I think one of the things we'll see, and this is where I start sounding a bit kind of Skynet and a bit weird and, and I give futurists a bad name, but I think the role of the internet's be- going to become much greater, but we're going to kind of notice it less. Like we, we talk now about this idea that people don't know the difference between online and offline. Um, But that's not really true. I mean, it's better than it used to be. Like in the olden days, you'd be dialing up from your parents' computer and hoping that your sister wouldn't interrupt the phone call. And now it all happens kind of automatically and we're always on. But we still have to enter passwords. We still have to get... Downloads. We still have to enter our credit card details. I think we're going to move towards a point where the internet, and I, I kind of call it the pervasive internet, the internet just becomes everywhere all the time to everyone, you know, high speed, and it just becomes this kind of assistive layer. And when you think about it like that, all of a sudden the kind of roles of all the devices that we own become quite different. So, you know, TVs stop really being TVs. They just become really large screens that we use to, con- to consume content that we, we pull down from the web. Like our phones don't become pl- ways to kind of talk to each other. They just become the kind of device that's in our pocket with the reasonable-sized well, reasonable screen that we use to kind of, again, pull information from this kind of pervasive internet. You know, our smart watches become... Uh, a very kind of small device that we use to access it. So I think this idea of a kind of pervasive internet which is kind of all seeing or all seeing, all knowing uh, will be a huge thing and I think the idea of of us thinking about devices will kind of disappear to become quite secondary. I think as a kind of as a kind of build onto that, I think we're going to have some really interesting conversations about privacy because I think mm. for so long we've been fighting it and and you see more and more hysteria every single day that goes by around you know, hacking or lost credit card details. I think we're probably going to get to a point, and, and I may be entirely wrong on this, but I think we will get to a point where we'll realize that we can trade it. So rather than being fearful of this thing, will kind of accept that we have no ability to keep it and we'll start thinking about how can we choose people who we trust more and then how do we kind of trade that for something of value so I think think part of the role of this pervasive internet is for it to be super personal so I think all of our browsing behaviour from everywhere will be kind of kept and logged by a trusted partner and then I think our devices will use that kind of the information that we share to offer things to us that are particularly relevant and offer key value to us so I think we will kind of start living in an age and maybe it's slightly more than a year off but we'll live in an age where our devices become kind of assistive towards us so we'll live in a world where they start working with us Um, where they start becoming things that kind of offer us contextual information. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I think about the role of advertising, that's when things become really exciting because we we think we've moved from the age of interruption to the age of engagement. I don't think that's really working. I think what we want is the age of value. So I want to know that my phone realizes that the traffic on the M5 is terrible Mm -hmm. um, and it offers me another suggestion. And that's brought to me by Virgin Railways, who I can just buy a ticket with by pressing down my thumbprint. Or it starts to... I want Dark Sky, the app that runs in the background on my phone, to suggest an Uber because it's only two minutes away.
0: Wow, that's a huge um, session. I love that, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Really, because I mean, I I read your article about ThinTernet, and and it makes me think. So, I mean, so the idea of trading for your data. There's a, there's a. a, a, It made me think of the um, planned redundancy. Because the challenge of trading for my data, if I were to sign up and say, I'll, I'm prepared to pay to use Google 50 bucks, and for that, they don't track me. So as opposed to incognito, there's a, as a, an ability for me to say, well, my data is worth to me $50, let's say, <laughs> a day or whatever it is. But then if I do that, um, then I am excluding myself from personalization and google has to make a business model that's going to know the net present value of my lack of data mm-hmm. so it's almost like cutting themselves off if they offer that how do you how do you position that
1: well there's lots of interesting ideas there one of which is the one thing that people like less than companies knowing stuff about them is companies sending them things that are irrelevant um, like privacy becomes this really emotional thing because we hate the idea of companies knowing stuff about us but when they don't they, it, it drives us nuts so so I think it's actually fairly kind of unlikely that lots and lots of people would kind of opt out of, of such a kind of system and pay money um, and at least if they did do that they would probably be being quite irrational having said that the amount of money that most of these companies make from us is so tiny that um, the effort of paying the companies in order to take away ourselves from these services would actually be greater than the amount of money that we'd, we'd need to spend um, to, to extract ourselves from that process. Uh, but I think you, you know, without kind of necessarily need, meaning to, you've kind of moved on to another really interesting area, which is about the internet and how things get funded. Because I think, you know, since the the net's inception, we've always assumed that it was an advertiser-funded model. Like we've always expected it to be free. Um, you know, the net neutrality debate goes on in in the world right now because people are holl- horrified about the idea of there being kind of. Uh, different classes on it. But it seems weird to me. I mean, marketing does a fantastic job of of creating, you know, premium experiences and extracting the, the most amount of money from the most number of people. And it uses, you know, fi- first-order price differentiation to do that. So it kind of blows my mind that few people seem to be talking about the possibility of there being an Internet where you pay for it and where it's better. Um, for me, things like kind of Bitcoin or, or ideally, kind of micro currencies and, and microtransactions transactions will allow us to have an internet which is actually kind of based around us as customers. Because right now, we're the kind of um, we're the parasites that kind of live off it, and we kind of pay for things with our eyeballs and our attention, and we get rewarded really badly for that. Like the amount of money that companies make from destroying our internet experience is tiny. So I think increasingly, especially people, you know, middle class and above, will will quite happily kind of pay for a world Um, it all just comes down to how it's done, if it's done kind of frictionless uh, and if it's easy then I think we could well see a kind of bifurcated internet with kind of two different tiers one a kind of a poor world of BuzzFeed and and interstitials and and crappy Google adword magazine type ads, and there may be another one which has some advertising, you know, but it'll be a kind of a full page Rolex ad that's beautiful, you know, before we get into the Financial Times or or the New York Times or something like that. I think that there are really interesting conversations to be had about the notion of monetizing content on the web, and I think um, I think that's one of the kind of big issues that will probably develop over the next six months.
0: Mm, yeah, totally. This whole notion of actually S- Advertising about content is is what we 're getting into. I want to go circle back in your big slug that we just had before about um the internet of things, if you will, or at least the uh pervasiveness of internet apple's uh, latest uh, announcements um, their iphone six and and uh, the Apple watch. How do you how do you view that? Do you think that they are right in that 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 vortex? Uh, how how do you view their latest announcements?
1: Well, the, the first really boring thing I'd like to say is that
0: um, hey, nothing's boring so far.
1: <laughs> is that the devices are not in any way uh, groundbreaking? Like the 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 hardware specs of the iPhone six are very standard. Um, the watch itself has been done many times before. What I think is really interesting is that kind of Apple has moved beyond the hardware and then beyond the software and then beyond the services like for for years, phones were phones and then phones became phones and software and then they became software and maybe some music or some gaming or or even the app ecosystem. You know people you know until a couple of days ago would be choosing their phone by the the, 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 the operating system and it worked Now we see kind of Apple going beyond that to. real. Life partners and that's where things become really interesting because if if your phone is the phone that allows you to you know get into a marriott hotel room with your your phone it's not going to change your life but it's a kind of cool thing that you talk to your friends about if it's the phone that allows you to kind of pay for your big mac meal with a thumbprint in in mcdonald's if it's the phone that you can get your uh concert ticket and they can scan your uh, NFC card as you go in with your phone, all of a sudden these phones become way more than phones. They become your kind of gateway to the to the real world. So, so what I found most interesting about Apple's announcement was this idea of kind of operating in this space between the real world and the physical world. Um, I, I think the other really interesting thing um, about the kind of eye watches, we now starting to think about different kind of interfaces. Um, so for so long, we've kind of operated in a world of of, uh, of kind of touchscreen. and then now with NFC, we're going to operate in a world of kind of tapping. Um, and then with the, uh,
0: without the crown,
1: without the crown, um, the the digital crown, um, and then now we're going to enter this kind of world of kind of tapping and touching and pinching, and the kind of interfaces that we have with devices are going to change. So that you know, I, I see the the rise of voice as an interface as being quite interesting. Um, the idea of, you know, there's technology out there, like a, a company called Leap Motion or a company called Mayo. They're all making kind of devices that make the way that we experience digital stuff seem more kind of intuitive. And when you when you talk about this and this kind of idea of a vanishing interface, like it sounds quite kind of ethereal and vague, but it, it's part of this kind of movement with, between the lines of of what is us and what is the Internet, and it's all becoming very kind of... Um, again very pervasive but very kind of human like the the internet just becomes a kind of natural extension of us and you know it's kind of the talking of of, um you know, futurologists for years about this idea of kind of transhumanism. Yeah. But, but, and this is where it gets really interesting because then you have to think about people and, and to what extent are people happy with this? Like, everyone's happy with a phone. Like, that's completely acceptable to 99.9% of the population. Everyone thinks that people who wear Bluetooth headsets or Google Glass are kind of idiots. Like, there has to be some point between those two devices where it becomes socially acceptable to be displaying this kind of token that you keep a dashboard of your own behavior and that you want to have directions on your wrist. And it's going to be really interesting to me to see what, um, you know, at this kind of critical time in humanity to decide whether we're kind of all for technology or we're going to become neo-Luddites or whether we're going to find this balance between the two. It's, it's a kind of really interesting kind of voting time, I think, to decide which way we go. And,
0: and certainly the media and uh, some of the more influential media stars or pop stars are going to have their say in that. Um, what I like about what you said, Tom, is that you, you brought it down to very basic acts in our daily life, which really sort of, in my mind, expresses both my own opinion, but also obviously what stimulates you is how it's being used in daily life. And you said, well, it's a little cool thing, but it's some of the little cool things that are going to make it acceptable. So, you know, I can go buy my pizza with my thumbprint. I can They'll know who I am by, when I walk in front of a store. Oh, they recognize me. Then pops up on the screen of the of the um, the window shop, my name. Hey, Tom, why don't you come in? And and I think that's rather really exciting. What I wanted to swing into, Tom, because ha- I mean we could talk about a lot of things, <laughs> is um, in the retail space because, and that's, that's that was initially why I wanted to contact you. We're talking the little things. We're talking the pervasiveness. How do you see? I mean, if we want to be specific with regard to Apple, but in general, how do you see digital
1: uh, evolving in the retail space? How would you like to angle that one? Well, the the first thing I want to say is, what worries me at the moment is the degree to which retailers are starting to become obsessed with technology and not on their customers. Um, Like technology companies have always cared about technology. That's nothing new but retailers have always been unbelievably good at knowing exactly how people behave. Like exactly how to kind of bring them into stores, how to kind of make them you know change their minds and and make purchase decisions and what worries me slowly is, is slightly at the moment is the focus that these retailers have on new technology just for the sake of it. So I think I think the first thing I would say to people is they really need to be careful to make sure they're kind of empathetic to the mindset of customers. Like we, we don't want to have a relationship with every single brand in the world, and therefore, when we walk down a supermarket aisle, we don't expect to get 250 different notifications. You know, my salad cream telling me, you know, it's going to be sunny that weekend and I should have uh, a nice salad. Like I don't want that kind of interaction. It all needs to be about me and when you when you think about it as you and then when you layer through how you feel and what kind of things you're thinking then you can do really really exciting things and i think it becomes this notion of You know, how do you use technology to drive footfall at key times? How do you use technology to send people personalized offers at precisely the right moment? How do you even use technology for very kind of uh, time-dependent business? Like, um, it blows my mind that Groupon hasn't yet used iBeacons to kind of sell a kind of flash sales model where... You know, if a hairdresser has a cancelled appointment, anyone with a Groupon app will be kind of, who walks by, will be told that there's suddenly an appointment and they can kind Mm -hmm. of jump in for Mm -hmm. half price because, you know, Groupon destroyed business value by devaluing stuff. Mm -hmm. But if it's something that's cancelled, people will happily take that special offer without actually thinking that that haircut is now worth less because they'll understand it was just something that happened kind of spontaneously. So it's things like how, you know, whether it's iBeacons to bring people in, whether it's Um, You know, technology like NFC to help you with your payment. How do you then use that kind of payment information to give people more rewards? Like maybe now um, that payment data can be used through the app to kind of help understand what people are buying and then kind of offer them more uh, kind of personalized suggestions. Things like mobile couponing I think is really interesting. But in a way, like a, a kind of bigger part of this is almost. Again, as part of this idea of the pervasive web, like the idea of online and offline will soon have no meaning. Like online retailers will soon start opening some kind of presence in real life, uh, and real life pre- uh, properties have certainly started opening stores online. So I think we'll get to a point where you know people talk about total retail or by omni-channel retail, and you know Waitrose having lockers to pick up stuff at railway stations is great. But I think we're just going to see this world where we will have no idea that you know in 10 years time we'll have no idea that high streets just sort of had shop assistants that that kind of stood behind desks asking us if we we're okay i think it will seem really kind of um archaic what will happen instead is there'll be some shop windows where the store uh, is open at certain times as a flagship but all of the time you can use a kind of projection onto the the shop window to order stuff from their online catalog i think you know you'll go in store and some things will be delivered to you and some things you'll be picked up with then there'll be more kind of drama to bring you in store um you know, there's some really interesting work to be done on what the unique advantages of shopping online are, what the unique advantages of shopping in person are, and finding a way to kind of bring the best of both together, and probably having kind of you know stores that are more flexible. Maybe um, you know the idea of kind of an API is really interesting. You know, with the API for, for Uber allows you to shop. Um, for Uber on different apps. So if you take that thinking into the kind of real-world environment, all of a sudden you start thinking about retail in different ways, and maybe it's kind of an extension of the idea of cross-selling. But in theory, these all just become kind of dramatic, tactile points where people buy stuff. Um, and when you think about that context, you can do really exciting things with that.
0: Tom, you you're, you're crack in, and I'm, I'm just kind of... I, I would love to hear how you take what you're just saying and you explain it to the boss of a company, because what you're saying is, really makes fathomless sense. I mean, I totally get it. It's, it's, it's profound, it's moving. But when you're talking with the head of a company that has to make their end-of-the-quarterly-month sales, you know, I've got HR crises and shareholders that are pissing and moaning, what, how, do you, how do you get through to them? Because what you're saying makes all the sense in the world. But do you find them listening? And and what are the kinds of arguments that you might have that help pierce their armor?
1: Well, to some extent, and this isn't the best answer to the question, but it's kind of self-serving in that I am so boldly about the kind of future and about new technology, but layered over problems and thinking about people that the meetings I have are always with people who are kind of bought into that process. So... Um, there's never that much in the way of persuasion. The the main challenge is kind of finding out the degree to which you are there uh, to kind of inspire, the degree to which you are there to kind of put fear into people, and the degree to which you are there to kind of implement solutions. Because, you know, clearly, clearly one of those three things is going to be the most important thing for that particular person at that particular mm-hmm. time. So my main challenge is kind of finding out the purpose of that meeting. Um, you know, the aspect of fear is kind of interesting because I think for many, many years... Um, people always assumed that things were going steady. And then now we see very kind of disruptive times when new kind of insurgents are coming into industries. And and I do mean the word insurgent because people may look at people like Uber and and Airbnb and think that they're kind of disruptive or they're the sharing economy. But what they really are is companies who had absolutely nothing except a really good understanding of technology and just had no regard for the rules or the law or 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 a legacy or history or or the past and they just blew everything up and it's kind of scary to realize quite how destructive that can be. And if you're selling, you know, chocolate biscuits, then maybe disruption within the category of chocolate biscuits is not going to be vast. But there are an extraordinarily large number of companies that face threats from places that they may never have seen coming. Just because... I mean, I call it the kind of last-mover advantage. Like for years, we've talked about first-mover advantage. But when technology is developing this quickly, um, someone yesterday who found out about the iWatch... Uh, or NFC on the iPhone 6 is now a better place to develop an over-the-top messaging solution than Snapchat or WhatsApp are because they have nothing other than knowledge about what's possible now to work with. So they can build everything completely from scratch. You know, The servers that they buy or rent today will be cheaper than the servers anyone has ever bought before. The knowledge of consumers is now different to what other people are developing it for. So we're in this kind of constant time of, of new arrivals having these re- ridiculous advantages because they're built kind of fresh for that moment in time mm. so if you kind of put all those things together it, it's, it's harder to get the meeting than it is to persuade the person in the meeting that they need to give this a lot of thought mm, beautiful
0: all right tom we are coming to the close and so as much as i would love to have talked about a few more topics i can't do it so um it's obvious you are on top of your game you 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 are following a lot of things how do you stay on top of what's going on just in this little world that we have?
1: My my biggest enemy has been clickbait because I'm a very curious person, and, and clickbait means that virtually everything that comes into my Twitter feed looks fascinating. Well, just to, just then, it the, sounds like then
0: the first thing is to be curious.
1: Uh, yeah, first thing, be curious, and that curiosity should extend into your online habits. So I'm uh, I'm a top writer for Quora, uh, and Quora is a, a kind of questions and answer forum where, you know, some of the most interesting people with some of the most precise knowledge in the world hang out. You know, so if you want to, you know, I was having discussions on there four years ago about Apple Pay and, and how it would work. And, uh, you know, I predicted the iWatch you know, with pretty much 100% perfection about two years ago, solely because of conversations that I was having on there. So, Core is great, Twitter is great, um, and the other thing is your curiosity should take you into the real world. Like, you know, it's a slightly kind of. Um Overused quote, but the future is here, and it isn't evenly distributed. So, you know, if you want to go and see what the future of of uh, over the top messaging is, jump on a flight, get to Shanghai, see how people use WeChat, see how you can pay for taxis with it, see how you can book meals with it you know if you want to see the future of architecture then you probably fly to finland if you want to see the future of uh, public transport with regard to, uh, to payments then maybe london's the place to be but you know if you get out enough and you go to interesting places you'll 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 see places that have only ever grown up in a new age so the fastest internet reception i ever got in i think 1997 was in Montenegro. Um, the the best parking solution I've ever found was in Romania. Like it, just by going out there and seeing the world, it, it's amazing what you can discover.
0: Yeah, that's fabulous. All right, so Tom, someone wants to follow you, uh, connect with you, or even um, you know reach uh, reach you. What's the best way?
1: Probably the best way, and I sound very millennial right now, is is through Twitter. Um, so my handle is Tom F Goodwin. Um, I also have a website www.tomorrow-innovation.com um, but either of those routes or by searching for Tom Goodwin on LinkedIn you'll, you'll uh, find my email address and, and more about me
0: very yeah, splendid Tom thanks so much I had, I had a lot of fun listening to you and I uh, look forward to keeping up with you because you know it's something
1: I share a lot as well it's been great thanks very much for the opportunity
0: thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue show You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, that's Mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it on iTunes, that really makes my day. Happy trails, and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers.
2: Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way, to rid me of the gray.